Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And mentioned Job when he called to his Lord, Indeed, adversity has touched me, and you are the most merciful of the merciful. Sadaqallahu al-Aliyyul Azim. Respected brothers and sisters, dearest viewers, wherever you may be, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam. Last night we looked at the lives of Prophet Yaqub and Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam and how they were tested. If you haven't watched those episodes, then please go back on our YouTube and Facebook and they'll be uploaded there. But please do continue following us on this Ramadan special by watching us live from your YouTube and Facebook, any IPTV, your iOS and Android devices by downloading the Imam Hussein TV3 app. Tonight, inshallah, we'll be looking at the life of Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam. Job in the Quran, Job in the Bible or Ayyub in the Quran. And it has to be one of the most beautiful stories of any Prophet of Allah. But before I start, I'd like to thank the viewers from all over the world who have been texting in, calling in, and sending in your salams and questions to the Sayyid. I am your host, Minhal Khafaji. And what better way to study the life of Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam in depth than with Dr. Sayyid Aman Naqshwani. Sayyidina as-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum as-salam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing? Very well. I'm feeling great. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. Alhamdulillah. Now Sayyidina, after Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, Egypt was pretty much in a very good place. Did they need any other prophets after that? I think it's a great question to, you know begin the biography of Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam because Egypt wasn't a great place. You know, Nabi Yusuf alayhi salam left a wonderful foundation uh, in the land of Egypt. His son Ephraim was very highly respected in the land of Egypt. And monotheism, uh, for the first time in a long time, had precedence over polytheistic or pagan belief. Uh, so you find the Egyptian people had even reached a stage where they thought there's no more need for any prophets. Mm. You know, everybody is worshipping God. Uh, things are growing well economically. Um, if you remember yesterday, we mentioned the story of Nabi Yusuf salam, <laughs> that they had a major test economically and, uh, and they were able to come through it because of the wisdom of Nabi Yusuf salam. So yeah. Nabi Yusuf's family, Ephraim, um, they were all living, you know, wonderfully well. Um, and the people of Egypt generally. But we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had a divine plan. And these divine plans work in different ways. It doesn't only have to be a group of people who are polytheist or monotheist for God to suddenly send a messenger mm -hmm. or for God to send a prophet. Sometimes a prophet himself may face a major challenge with his own family. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a prophet may face a major challenge with his own belief system. And what you find is that while Egypt had a very strong and devout belief in the monotheistic path and had recognized the blessings of God upon them with Nabi Yusuf alayhi salam, Shaitan was restless. Mm. This isn't going as it was meant to be planned. Shaitan, he had said to God, you'll see what I'll do. You'll see exactly how many people I'll deceive. But now there's a land where he doesn't seem to be many, deceiving many. Mm -hmm. People are following Tawheed the way Tawheed should be followed. And so... Shaitan in this restlessness has a conversation with the Lord. It's narrated in our hadiths. Up until Nabi Isa, the jinn were able to traverse the heavens and the earth. Mm. They were able to be in the company of listening to the messages from the skies. Then after Nabi Isa, up to that point, they may traverse to the fourth heaven. And then after the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon time, they were not able to get to where they were able to before. But Shaitan speaks to the Lord and he says to him that, you know, I thought things would be much worse than this. And whoever your greatest servant is on earth, by the name of Ayyub, 
I think that he is only a great servant of yours because you've given him everything. And if you hadn't, then you'll see that he'll leave your way. Now, who was Prophet Ayyub exactly? Was he from a wealthy background or a basic background? Some say that he was Prophet Lord's grandson. Uh -huh. But I take the opinion that he was the great-grandson of Prophet Ishaq One way or the other, it was a prophetic background mm -hmm. that Prophet Ayyub came from And his father Amos was a very devout and respectable personality Who had a major influence on the life of Nabi Ayyub Now when he wanted to get married, mm. would, what would he look for? Do prophets only marry from, let's say, a prophetic background? Well, Nabi Ayyub at the age of 30, his father dies and he leaves him this unbelievable amount of inheritance. Mm -hmm. The wealth that he leaves him is phenomenal. And when he leaves him that amount of wealth, the best gardens, the best buildings, the best houses, the best you can imagine of everything. And now he wants to get married because you could have all the wealth in the world, but if you can't build that family, then you can't really enjoy it as much as you would hope you want to see it blossom with your family and sure. with your children and so on. So he wants to get married. He's devastated that his father's died because he was only 30 when his dad died. But he wants to get married to Nebi Yusuf's granddaughter. Uh -huh. So Nebi Yusuf's son, Ephraim, had a daughter by the name of Rahma, Mercy. And it really goes to show you the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when they gave their sons or their daughters names They wanted to make sure that these names had a monumental effect on the character of their child mm -hmm. When you give your child a name Either try and give the child a name that relates to a great personality who they can look up to Or try and have them be named after a particular attribute mm. Please, whatever you do, don't try and give them a name that your friend from a non-Muslim background will say, Oh, that sounds so nice, but it just doesn't have any meaning. Exactly. There are people who have swayed towards that direction. Nabi Yusuf's son, Ephraim, his daughter was Rahma. And Nabi Ayyub proposed for her. And Nabi Ayyub had all the wealth in the world. You know, you can't mm -hmm. imagine just how much Allah had blessed him with with wealth and with all the harvests and the gardens and so on and good health, good looking and Alhamdulillah Ephraim, the son of Yusuf, father of Rahmah, he accepted mm -hmm. and from there a wonderful family grew a family where they had great farms, great children you know, everything was going brilliantly for them Now, you know, what's the main criteria when someone wants to get married, Islamically, what's the main criteria? Because some people will say, look for akhlaq or her religion. But I'm sure you'd agree with me that looks are important as well. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm sure looks are important. What would be your criteria? My criteria? Yeah, so now we've got all these viewers on Imam Hussein TV. <laughs> That's Minhal al-Khafaji He's there. trying to get me married to you. Know, he's, just, he's a, he's a good-looking guy. <laughs> you know, he's, um, he's, he's got a great personality. Thank you, um, I appreciate that. You know, and lover of Ahlul Bayt mm -hmm. at a young age. Um, I'm giving him a reference, so that should really <laughs> help uh, a long way. But what would be your criteria? What would you look for? And be truthful, you're live in front of everybody and you're fasting. Yep. So, you know, there's, there's no time for you to have some sort of white lie. Number one, akhlaq. Number two, lover of the Ahlul Bayt. Mm -hmm. Number three, decent looking. Yeah, interesting. I, 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 I don't see a problem with you putting number three as number one. It's something very natural. <laughs> but I think, like you said, with akhlaq, it's something fundamental. Mm. You know, even the fact that you placed akhlaq above religiosity, I think is important because you could be somebody, you know, you could be this really religious person, mm -hmm. but you've not understood what religion is. So you're very judgmental of everybody. Yeah. You love to make judgmental comments. Muslims are the most judgmental people on the face of this earth. Mm -hmm. They love to be judgmental against everybody who doesn't suit their worldview. Mm -hmm. They have no conception of benefit of doubt. They have no conception of making 70 excuses. They thrive on destruction of characters. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes other Muslims run away from the community. You may have a girl out there who 
religiously may not be most knowledgeable, but her akhlaq is good. And I think that's what he finds in Rahma. That look, if you're Prophet Yusuf's granddaughter, you're going to be an all right looking uh, lady. Yeah. But I think, you know, with the Prophets of Allah, they always teach us the akhlaq, look for the, you know, religiosity. That's a nice combination. And then naturally, look, buddy, if you're, not, if you're going to go for somebody who's, you know, decent looking, after a while, you're going to look around, you're going to see, well, there's double decent and triple decent who I could be with. <laughs> you want to be with somebody, you know, it, it, there's a nice attraction and spark, and then you build from there, inshallah. Now, when Prophet, let's move away from trying to get me married, mm. but when Prophet Ayyub salam was appointed as a Prophet, uh, we learned uh, in our previous episodes that Prophet Ibrahim, it says in the Quran, إِنَّ مِنْ شِيْعَتِهِ لَإِبْرَاهِيمِ He was the Shia of Prophet Nuh salam. What Sharia would Prophet Ayyub follow? And is it true that he would care for the orphans? Yeah, you know, he, he follows the Sharia of Nabi Ibrahim still. Okay. Uh, we haven't come to Nabi Musa salam. So everyone's still following what we had discussed with Suhaf Ibrahim mm -hmm. um, And yeah, as a Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is one of the most fundamental aspects of his life was his care for the orphans. Mm. This holy month of Ramadan, try your hardest to sponsor a meal for one orphan. You know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, would always stress me and the sponsor of the orphan are like this in Jannah. Mm -hmm. And we know that our Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, was an orphan at a young age. Um, there are so many orphans in the world today because of war-torn communities mm -hmm. um, and I know that you know Imam Al Hussein TV has many campaigns where they seek to look after orphans in the land of Iraq but there are orphans in the land of Yemen in the land of Syria there are orphans in, in different parts of the world who have seen oppression who have seen tyranny who have seen war Nabi Ayyub salam, even though he had all this wealth it never stopped him sitting with the poor and with the needy with the widows and with the orphans mm -hmm. You know, many times in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us that there are certain spectrums in society. Don't forget them. Mm -hmm. Don't neglect them. When you see a lady who's lost her husband at a very young age, try your hardest to ensure that someone's looking after her and her kids. When you see someone who's lost their dad, you know, in our community, we go to the janazah, we go to the sat al-maid of someone who's lost their dad. But after that, we don't keep in touch with them and say, are you okay? You know, three months later, six months later, a year later. Mm -hmm. So what you have with Nabi uh, Ayyub alayhi salam, if you want to see kafil al-yateem, the one who would look after the orphans, it was him. And he would ensure that every orphan was protected, would be smiling, would have a meal ready for them. So even with all that wealth, it's a major lesson because sometimes when you've got all that wealth, it, it can be very difficult for you to sit with the poor mm -hmm. because you want to sit around people of the same level as you. There are people who are wealthy who find it extremely difficult to sit with those who aren't <coughs> on the same level of, of wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, or they look down at people who are poverty-stricken. Mm -hmm. uh, or even they'll donate to the poor but never hang around with the poor. What's this year's Shahar Ramadan donation? Yeah, yeah, just send them a check. No, no, don't just send them a check. Go and actually feel mm -hmm. and sit with them and talk with them. I was honored last year with the Zahra Trust to be alongside uh, people, you know, poverty-stricken areas in Iraq, and we saw just how many difficulties they went through. So yeah, he was known for his help with the poor, no doubt. Now, we learned in the previous episodes that the people of Ad and Thamud, because of their, because of their arrogance, that's what led to their destruction. Mm. But we see that Prophet Ayyub wasn't even arrogant at all. Yeah. So what then... Well, that's what frustrated Shaitan. Oh. Shaitan was frustrated with Nabi uh, Ayyub because he's just like, listen, why is this guy not arrogant? Mm -hmm. He's the wealthiest guy in his area. You know where they used to live in, uh, you know in Syria there's an area called Dara. It's been in, in the news with ISIS and mm -hmm. what happened there and so on. So in that Dara region, they were living there. And, just, and probably he was just the richest guy. Um, it just, he can live the most luxurious life. He could look down at everybody. He goes and sits with orphans. Mm -hmm. He goes and sits with the poor. Miskeen, Yatim, Asir, whoever you are, he comes to sit with you. He literally is the embodiment of the ayah. They would love, and this is a trait of all the NBA. This used to frustrate shaitan. Mm. Why is there not a bit of takabbur in him? There's got to be some takabbur. Yani surely you with all that wealth, you got so many kids, you got a stunning wife. Mm -hmm. There must be arrogance in you. 
When there is an arrogance, shaitan sits back and thinks, hold on a minute, how could you not be arrogant? Mm-hmm. I said to God, I will deceive all of them. Why can't I deceive this man? And that's when shaitan tells God, you know what? You've given him everything. That's why he does shukr to you. Mm. That's why he's humble towards you. All humans are humble towards you. And they do shukr to you when things are going well. Mm. Watch when things go bad. They stop praying. They stop fasting. They stop reading dua. Mm -hmm. Because they'll start blaming you. So God says to shaitan, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Shaitan said, let me be in charge of the land that he owns. I'll burn it all if you give me the power to be in charge of it. Mm. When all his land is burnt, he's going to stop believing in you. Mm. And that Ayyub who everybody says is the most upright, devout, Siddiq Nabi, you'll see he has nothing in you only because you've been good to him. When you're Bad to him, he's going to start blaming you. Because what does the human do? A human being, when something goes wrong, the atheist thoughts start coming in. There's no God. I hate God. What type of God? And so on. So then, God said, okay, very well. Go do it. Go do what you want. I'll give you Sultan to do it. You've got the power to do it. Go ahead. Shaitan comes to all of the other shayateen. Okay. Says to them, good news. Big news. They say, what is it? It's like for the first time since Adam, mm-hmm. there's a chance to capture one of God's prophets. They're like, how? He's like, you see how big the farms that he owns are? He said, yes. So I'm going to burn all of them. I'm going to come in the form of a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that I've come from your lands. They're on fire. Please look after me. He burns all his land. Human being, the moment you take away a possession of theirs, Mm -hmm. they change into an animal. Unless they have taqwa and believe that everything is done for a reason, they become an animal. Mm -hmm. You'll see a human who's so polite, you take one possession away from him, they become animals. Shaitan thought, this a you. When we burn his land that he's worked so hard for. Because mm-hmm. what do we say? I worked so hard to get this. If it doesn't happen for me, I'll do anything to destroy all of you. It's the human. Exactly. And I don't care if that person prays and fasts. Mm-hmm. You test them at those moments. In those moments you see. Whether they turn around and say, look, I'll try. But if it's not written, it's not written. Or if this doesn't happen, I'll destroy all of you. Mm-hmm. Shaitan comes to him. He goes, look, you lost all your land. He was like, no issues. It wasn't mine. It was God's. SubhanAllah. It wasn't mine. It was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He gave it to me as an amana for a certain period. He wanted to take it back. And the Bible, in my opinion, and excuse me Muslims out there, mm. but I think the Bible, his words, as he says them in the Bible, are amongst the most beautiful words yeah. in the book of Job in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's Job 121 or something. The yeah. most beautiful words ever that when you've lost something, you could either cry or go crazy, you want to punch the world mm-hmm. and want to kick off on everybody and blame everybody, or you say his lines. It's, Tell me. It's beautiful that you mentioned that. Job chapter 1 verse 21. It says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Allah, Allah, Allah. Subhanallah. If Islam and Christianity, and Judaism, and all those who believe in the book of Job, if all of us could come together on that one verse, naked was I. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will depart. And naked I will depart. The Lord gave me. The Lord gave me. And the Lord has taken away. And the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
If Muslims and Christians in the world just pondered on this, mm. we're all going crazy. This is my land. This is his land. This is our land. We're going to kill all of you. We're going to bomb all of you. We're going to fight all of you. We're going to drown all of you. We're going to destroy all of you. You know what? Sometimes shaitan's got to us more than we think. And that's why these stories are important. Mm -hmm. Shaitan's gone crazy. He's just thinking to himself, hold on a minute. I burnt everything this man worked his socks off for. Excuse the pun on socks off today. I made sure that he has no more land. When a human being's house is repossessed, when they are made bankrupt, when they are destroyed, where all their possessions are taken from them, surely they'll turn and complain to Allah. How could this person still be saying shukr? He's still saying thank you. The house is gone. The flat is gone. An insane. The cars have gone. The horses have gone. The camels have gone. <clears throat> Don't let the Muslim world put themselves in a mirage that they are all pious. Test them when they lose everything. Mm. That's when you'll see piety. Don't test them when everything's going well. Everyone's smiling when everything's going well. Exactly. The test is, can you say Alhamdulillah when things are going bad or does your animalistic side emerge? Mm. There are Imam Sadiq was asked by somebody when he saw Islam, people going around the Kaaba and Hajj. Someone said to him, how many people are on Hajj? He said, look through my fingers. Many animals, not many humans. Human? The highest human, as Imam Al-Baqir says. When Allah loves his servant, he drowns him in the sea of suffering. It's not easy to get to grips with that. When Allah loves you, He drowns in the sea of suffering. So Shaitan turns around and says, wait, okay, kids. You lose a kid. Devastating. Best thing. He will never believe in Allah. Hardest moment is to lose a child. Hardest moment is to hear that your child has an illness or a disease. Most difficult moment for any human being. Mm -hmm. He causes the house where the children of Ayyub and Rahma are to all fall on them and die. Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the earth in one hadith, earth, look after their bodies. Mm. I'm going to bring them back shortly. Just keep them in peace for a bit. Mm. But in the eyes of Shaytan, in the eyes of Ayyub and Rahma, their kids have gone. Shaytan comes to Ayyub. Ha Ayyub! Your kids have all died. One of the main areas that atheists always come forward and say, if God is a merciful God, why are children dying? Mm -hmm. First, let's define God. <laughs> You've told me if God. First, let's explain, define what is God. There may be false definitions of God. Secondly, part of the, this whole free will package, there's going to be good moments and going to be difficult moments. Exactly. Thirdly, if you believe that that child was a gift from God, there are times where he may want his gift back. And you will be returning with that gift soon. It's the term, God's taken your child, children. He gave them as a gift. He can have them back. <laughs> if ever you want to see a lesson, when shaitan yuwaswas, mm -hmm. how to overpower, no! Nobody is like Ayyub. Not he's one of our ibad. What a servant. It's as if Allah SWT with the story of Ayyub was telling the Malaika, Inni a'lamu ma la ta'lamun. You said to me, Ataj'alu fiha ma yufsidu fiha wa yusuk al-dima wa nahnu nusabih. This is Ayyub. Have a look. Subhanallah. Shaitan's going nuts. 
Shaitan's gone crazy. Insane, probably. <laughs> Wealth gone. Shukran lillah. Kids died. Shukran lillah. Mm. Shaitan said, one more. I'll make his health go. Let him lose his health. They say that there was a stench that came from his body. Mm -hmm. I read, I read only one hadith that contradicted this. Only one. In Bihar al there was a hadith from Imam Sadr where he said there was no stench, no smell. It was that he just entered a period of poverty mm -hmm. and that's why nobody would come near him because he became poor. Mm -hmm. But there are there is an opinion that there was a smell emerging from his body. Now, someone might ask, doesn't that affect prophethood? Mm -hmm. No, he's already given the prophetic guidance at the start of his mission mm -hmm. to the people of Egypt. His risala is done. This has come after his risala, not before. Mm -hmm. His risala is done. He's given his message, continued the path of Ibrahim for people to know the sharia of Ibrahim. He's done. So there's no harm even if there is a stench where people... Now you imagine the worst feeling. If someone tells you, bro, you stink. If someone tells you, bro, you don't smell good. Mm. It hurts. Of course. Imagine you have a, a, because of a particular disease which shaitan inflicts upon him. Mm. Now there are people who reject this. They say a prophet of Allah will never go through this. And as I said, there is a hadith where Imam Salah says the prophet of uh, Ayyub did not go through this. So I have to make clear that there's two sides to this argument. But let's say, Nobody would come near him anymore. People abandoned him. Because of his smell, people didn't even want to come near him. Before these people used to love him. Now you imagine, your children have all died. Mm. Your wealth has all gone. You've got the smell. And you're still thanking God because he's blessed you so much. This world that we live in is about whether we look at the cup half full or half empty. There are many who face issues in life <clears throat> Because they look at things half empty. Mm. If you look at things half full, his wife even says to him, we'll come to his wife just after the break mm. to see her reaction. Because for a wife, it's not something easy. I sent him saying thank you very much for that first beautiful, insightful half on the life of Prophet Ayyub Do stay tuned for the second part where, we, where we'll be taking in your questions and inshallah, Dr. Sayyid Amman Naqshawani will answer those. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh and a very warm welcome to you all dearest brothers and sisters and respected viewers wherever you may be. Before the break we were discussing with Dr. Sayyid Aman Akshawani the tests that Ayyub was put through but still having that thankfulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Sayyidna, his wife Rahmi, all this time she must have been broken. How does Prophet Ayyub console her? Yeah, it wasn't easy for her at all. She was devastated. Um, you know, Prophet Ayyub's a ma'soom. You know, he's, he's got this grace from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Rahmat sits with him and she, she tries to care for him in his illness. She's lost her kids. I don't think the wealth is on her mind. You know, she's a content lady. She's seen wealth. So she's not too desperate to be around wealth. And he tells her, you know, Rahma, stay strong. You're the granddaughter of a prophet of Allah. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can put Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq and Yaqub and Yusuf through trials, then why not us? It's amazing that sometimes in life, when we go through major trials, we look back at the great saints at the great mystical figures at the great prophets at the great sages who went through trials in their own lives. 
Mm. It's amazing when we're going to come to the disciples of some of the later prophets of the children of Israel, they were crucified. You know, they, it was normal to crucify. It was normal to behead simply because they were on the path of God. Now, there's no income coming in and Rahma goes out to work. And you know what she starts working as? No. Sweeping the floors and picking up rubbish. She goes to sweep floors. She goes to pick up, uh, clean the floors, wash people's clothing. And even then, even then there were people who were telling her, you know what, you are near your husband and he has got a problem and we don't want you coming near us because we may be infected with mm. your husband's problem. And then there were others who would say to her that, you know what, don't come near us. If God liked your husband, he would never put him through all of this. God would have looked after him. Your husband must have done something haram for God to put him through this because God would never put him through any of this. Now, for a lady who knows that her husband's a prophet of God mm. and knows that this is a trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's an extremely, extremely difficult moment for her, you know. Um, and for her to maintain her strength is something amazing. Because naturally, if shaitan sees he can't get through to Ayyub, then he's probably going to try and get through to her. Yeah. And I'm sure that when she started working, shaitan wouldn't leave her. Well, she would be uh, kicked out from jobs to jobs. She'd try and look for new employment until her and Nabi Ayyub had to leave the town. They had to leave. Because the whole community shunned them. The whole community left them. Instead of the whole community coming near them and saying, look, Nabi Ayyub, you've been so supportive to us for years. The orphans you looked after, the poor you looked after, anyone who needed help you looked after. The orphans just completely, the people just completely shunned them. And they had to go to a neighboring town. And when they went to that neighboring town, he said to her that, look, we as prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot take sadaqah. So therefore, considering we cannot take sadaqah, that means that you're going to have to continue looking for work. They say that shaitan thought, you know what, I can get through to Rahma. And so shaitan, one narration says that he even tried to tell her, listen, tell your husband that I'm the best doctor over here in this area. And if he kills an animal with, uh, eats an animal without saying, or kills an animal, slaughters an animal without saying Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and drinks some wine, that's going to be good for him. And you know, for a moment, this lady is thinking, could this possibly be the cure? And then Nabi Ayyub said, be careful. Shaitan's going to try his hardest. He's tried with me and he's testing us. And he's testing our patience. Mm. And that's why the beauty of the whole story is that Sabr Ayyub. How many times do you hear Sabr Ayyub, Sabr Ayyub? Yeah. Because not only have you lost your wealth, you've lost your kids. It's, this is the beauty of the Qur'an. If people actually study the stories in the Qur'an, there'll be a lot of difficult moments in life where we could say, but Ayyub went through worse. Mm. Why do we love talking about Imam Al-Hussein and Sayyidah Zainab and the Sabaya and Karbala and Kufa and Sham? Because when we remember what happened to them, we're like, What's, what they've gone through, mm. What we're going through now is nothing compared to what they've gone through. Exactly. They are our uswa, they're the example. So, yeah, shaitan tries his hardest to try and affect Rahma in what was happening. Now, Sayyidna, I know this is going to spark a quite a big debate. It's going to you know, have a lot of conversation going on. There's always this debate on women working. You know, sometimes fathers don't allow their daughters to work. What's Islam's opinion on that? There are ladies who have worked, such as Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam, you know. Um, Islam hasn't got a problem with, you know, the ladies in our community working, as long as they're able to, um, you know, maintain their, like the man as well, maintain their religious um, ideals and beliefs and not find themselves in compromising positions, which may go against the duties given to both the husband and the wife, uh, in the world today or given to the Muslim man or woman. 
Now, how did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help Prophet Ayyub and Rahmat? Did he intervene at any point? I think he's, there's, there's, there's a moment where Rahmah is about to give up. And, uh, and she sees two men who say to her, listen, don't worry. Tell your husband to remain strong. Mm -hmm. And um, she comes back, she's like, you know, I saw these two men. They said the most beautiful words. And you know, sometimes when you're going through really bad times, when you've lost everything, mm -hmm. you just want someone just to say to you some positive words. People don't realize a smile is charity. People don't realize a pat on the back is charity. Islam didn't say charity is just giving money. Islam said that to smile to people, to, to, to pat their back, to say something nice. We tell each other, Salaam Alaikum. Why do we say Salaam Alaikum? Peace be upon, let there be more peace. Um, and so uh, she tells Ayyub, you know, these two men said something really nice. They said, they hope you get better and things will change. He said, that was Jibra'il and Mika'il. They had come to give you glad tidings. Welcome, for you are one of those who received friendship from the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah didn't forget Ayyub. There were moments he was giving him indirect messages. Now the people, as you said, uh, Prophet Ayyub salam, went to another village, another city. Who hurt him the most? Because they did kick him out. Oh, it's the scholars of the time mm. who were following his... Um, Following his path, they're the ones who made the most slanderous accusations. It's sad, but it's a lesson. Mm. That sometimes the scholars in your own religion are the ones who are able to slander your character the most. In nearly 20 years of giving majalis, I have seen people in the same position as me who've slandered me Throughout my career, um, people who look like the traditional holy garb, mm. you can look very holy on the exterior, but the heart, how pure is it? And you know what's mm. most beautiful? On the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the hearts. And on the day of judgment, Allah exposes those who falsely accused you. Mm. The amount of accusations that were made against Ayyub, I can relate to in, in my own lecturing career. <clears throat> um, even until recently, we had one brother who who's listened to so many of the majalis and he was flabbergasted when he heard, he said, you know, someone came to me and said that you are an agent for MI5 or MI6. I sounded like, you know, some James Bond film <laughs> or something. Listen, if, if, if I was going to be an agent, I think I'd look a lot more religious than what I look right now. Exactly. I think I'd be uh, looking a lot more holy with a longer beard, no tattoos. <laughs> um, but it's disgusting when someone from your own slanders you. Mm. Um, and I remember one of them saying, oh, these are the people who work who work for this country and that country. You know, some of these countries we're banned from visiting. We can't even get a visa to go to travel there. So I don't know how we're working for them. <laughs> uh, but there's a difference between ghiba mm -hmm. and buhtan. Ghiba is when you backbite, you might say something true about someone, but behind their back. Mm -hmm. Buhtan is when you make a false accusation. I can't wait for the day of judgment. I can't wait because I look forward to the day when those who slandered your character or your name have to answer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about A, the false accusations they made about you, but B, the number of good people under their member, under their pulpit, who they deceived. Just to blaspheme your character because you were more known than them or because they couldn't take your effect on the people. Nabi Ayyub alayhi salam, what hurt him more than any other wasn't losing his children, wasn't losing his wealth, wasn't losing his health. It's when people of the same madhab, the same religion, all they do is slander your character. And it's sad, it really is. I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that people come together on the love of Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam and are able to to have the basira to realize the difference between those who chase fame and those who had fame thrust upon them. Yeah.
Now, Sayyidina, why is it? Why is it that Maulanas can't get along? Because I'm going to have to say this. Us, the youth, we don't know where to head. We don't know who to look up to. Yeah, hopefully, you can take the good from everybody. Mm. But uh, Maulana, uh, you know, anyone in any profession, you're a human being. And, um, and while your nafs is a battle and you're trying your hardest to purify yourself, there's going to be the odd moment you slip and you're willing to destroy someone's reputation. It doesn't matter if you're a Maulana or no. You want to get to a certain position, someone's in your way, you'll do anything to destroy them or do anything to defame them. Mm -hmm. You're even willing to lie about them to defame them. I've seen it in my own career. And I can't wait for the day of judgment when Allah reveals all the truthful ones. Yep. Do you think it's <clears throat> envy? Yeah, you know, the disease of the ulama is envy. You know, and people get envious, especially if, you know, you're more popular than them. It kills them. You know, if, you, <laughs> if you're getting like one view, two views for your lectures and somebody else is hitting six figures and seven mm. figures, it, you know, it kills you. And at the end of the day, who cares about us? The ultimate goal is to serve Allah and to follow the path of the Prophet and the Ahlul Bayt where people like me are just going to die and be forgotten about. The ones who are going to be remembered are Muhammad and Al Muhammad So these discussions always and all of us in our positions have to remember that these are the people we have to look up to. Mm -hmm. Not trying to make a brand for ourselves in the hope that one day our family is going to be the most powerful family and we're able to collect taxes from people. Mm. Mm, you know, as the secrets will be exposed, don't worry. Now, Sayyidina, I'm going to take a question from WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, this is Brother Ali from Germany. He's asking, Satan tried to affect uh, Prophet Ayyub's wife numerous times um, because knowing that he can't get to Ayyub, can anyone overcome Satan because it's a daily struggle? Well, us, <laughs> you know, he can never over, overcome the prophets. They're too powerful. Or the imams, they're, you know, they're all masoom, mm -hmm. uh, a grace from God. And there are certain human beings who have reached the level, you know, they've obeyed Allah so well that they reach the level of kun fayakun. You know, Allah showers upon them a sort of asmat al-sughra, you know, like Sayyidah Zainab and Abel Fadl. And then there are ulama who have been great. And I think anyone who's able to do the wajibat and stay away from the haram, I think that, that's, that's the best way of warding off shaitan. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, is it true that he decided to beat his wife because she listened to shaitan? Because we find in chapter 38, verse 44 of the Quran, it says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, وَخُذْ بِيَدِكَ دِغْثًا فَضْرِبْ بِهِ وَلَا تَنْحَثْ إِنَّا وَجَدْنَاهُ صَابِرًا نِعْمَ الْعَبْدُ إِنَّهُ أَوَّابٍ It says, we said, and take in your hand a bunch of grass and strike with it and do not break your oath. Indeed, we found him patient and excellent servant. Indeed, he was one repeatedly turning back to Allah. Where in this verse did you find that it says he hit his wife? Does it say anywhere in the ayah? Uh, Read the Arabic again. وَخُذْ بِيَدِكَ ضِخْطًا فَضْرِبْ بِهِ وَلَا تَنْحَثْ Where does it say hit her? Nowhere. Repeat the verse again in Arabic, please. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim وَخُذْ بِيَدِكَ ضِغْطًا فَضْرِبْ بِهِ فَضْرِبْ بِهِ وَلَا تَنْحَثْ وَلَا تَحْنَثْ Okay, so فَضْرِبْ بِهِ وَلَا تَحْنَثْ Here the Quran is saying Where does it say that strike her? It just says strike with it. So they say in the world of hadith mm. You got these hadiths which say And this problem with the world of hadith You've got a lot of these Israeliyat which came into the Muslim tradition mm -hmm. And when these Israeliyat came into the Muslim tradition, they started to affect the understanding of a lot of these verses. You know, one opinion was because she sold her hair to get loaves of bread. She cut her hair, sold it. So that Nabi Ayyub was unhappy and he decided that he's going to strike her a hundred times with, you know, mm -mm. jumbled up sticks of hay. Yes, like uh, the dhukth which is mentioned. Like how we have in the story of uh, Yusuf alayhi salam, adghath ahlam. So it's all jumbled up sticks of hay. And so people said that Nabi Ayyub made an oath 
when he gets better or things get better, then eventually he's going to strike his wife. That's a hadith, not Quran. Mm -hmm. Then you have others who say that when she was willing to listen to shaitan, when he said to her, tell your husband to drink a glass of wine, Ayyub said, because you've done that, you've made me angry, I'm going to have to strike you later. Mm-hmm. Again, we reject that. Then others say, well, you know, she may have done something which was wrong, and in those days, that's the way you punish. And again, we reject that. Whether it's fadribuhun, wadrib, doesn't only mean hit. doesn't only mean strike. It mm-hmm. could mean to travel, to separate, to remove oneself. And so this idea that Nabi Ayyub told his wife, because you listened to shaitan, I'm going to hit you, or because you sold your hair, I'm going to hit you. Mm-hmm. There's no eye in the Qur'an that says that he hit his wife. There you have to refer to the world of hadith. And the world of hadith gives you, in some cases, some cases, there are Israeliyat, which are a load of nonsense, mm-hmm. in all honesty. Not only was Rahma the granddaughter of Nabi Yusuf and a great lady, but Nabi Ayyub salam is far from being a man who comes and strikes his wife. And no prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be a man who'd encourage such uh, abuse towards the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Sayyidina, from going from all this wealth and all this status that they had to virtually having nothing, doesn't Rahma ask Prophet Ayyub to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put an end to all of this? Yeah, she, she tells him, Listen, Prophet Ayyub talks to God. And Prophet Ayyub himself talks to God. Mm-hmm. So there's two combined. Prophet Ayyub talks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and she talks and, and, uh, you know, from himself and his wife asking. Mm-hmm. Now when his wife tells him, why don't you ask Allah to end this? He tells her, Rahma, Allah was good with us for 70 years. If he wants to test us for a few years, why not? Mm-hmm. But then Ayyub opens up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, it's something beautiful. Mm. That, you know, there's only so much that I can take. Ya Allah, and during all this time with what I have taken, I've always said shukr to you. Mm-hmm. Is that not enough? The reply is one of the most amazing replies you'll ever see. Ayyub. Even the shukr that you're telling me, I'm the one who gave you the word to say it to me. I'm the one who gave you the power to say it to me. Mm. When I say shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so I say, Ya Allah, I'm saying shukr to you all the time. Uh, He said to him, Ayyub, you cannot thank me enough because even the word shukr is from me. (laughs) True? True, very true. So what you have is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees that he's always been thankful. And no doubt, what makes a human being is how thankful they are. On my way here to the studio, Mm. now you have these signs where it tells you how much you're driving. What's the Mm. miles per hour which you are? Mm -hmm. Driving Driving, the speed. And the road is 30. So if you're driving within 30, what does it say to you? Thank Thank you. Even the machine says thank you. The human says thank you. يُسَبِّحْ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ الْمَلِكِ الْقُدُّوسِ الْعَزِيزِ الْحَكِيمِ Whatever's in the heavens and the earth, all thankfulness. Mm-hmm. The human being in Islam, what dignifies them isn't how many kids they have, how much wealth they have. It's how thankful they are at all times to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَإِنْ شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ the more thankful you are, the more I'll give you, I promise. And that's why we're always told after salah, do sujood, shukran lillah, shukran lillah, shukran lillah. Mm-hmm. Never stop that. I know some people have this habit, as soon as they finish salat al-maghrib, up, gone food. Straight. Aisha, up, gone food. Dhuhr, up, gone, let's go out. Just, just go down in sujood, shukran lillah, shukran lillah, shukran lillah. Three times. Believe you me, it makes a difference to your whole outlook. So Nabi Ayyub alongside the fact that he was a sabur, mm. was also that he was a abd who was shakur. He was always grateful and thankful to Allah mm-hmm. subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now because of that, Allah then tells him, there's good news coming. Now, we know that Prophet Ayyub didn't die from that particular disease. disease. His health is restored. Now, in chapter 38 verse 42, it says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So he was told, strike the ground with your foot. This is a spring for a cool bath and drink. 
Nice. Does this indicate what his health means? is restored? His children are restored. His wealth is restored. His wife's health is restored. Subhanallah. Shaitan is shown again. You can plot and I plot and I'm the greatest of plotters. There's no way whatsoever you're able to deceive my servants. This Ayyub, you burnt his land, he said, Shukran Lillah. This Ayyub, you killed his kids, thinking that I couldn't look after them in my own way. He still, he still said, Shukran Lillah. And he kept doing sujood, unlike you who was arrogant when I asked for one sujda, whereas he kept on doing sujood. And also when his health was bad and everyone left him and people slandered him saying he's not a prophet, this person is one of shaitan's armies, don't listen to him. He still continued to hold to my path. Ayyub, put that water, let it flow. It will give you that beautiful health back. And your wife, she is to be honored. Nowhere in the Quran did Allah say that his wife is a bad lady, that his wife should be beaten or his wife should be struck. His wife, Rahma, was to be honored for remaining alongside a husband in all those trials and all those tribulations. You will not find a heartbreaking story which at the end has a silver lining like the story of Nabi Ayyub alayhi salam. Now Sayyidina, we're going to take in a few questions from WhatsApp. Sure. Um, this one, Rada from Canada says, If a prophet is error-free, then did not Aristotle and Socrates make mistakes and errors scientifically? Do they still classify as prophets if they give wrong information? Firstly, do we know the real Aristotle or the real Socrates? You know, everybody's given their own version of what they are. Mm. Um, and secondly, look, people posit a theory that they could be prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We side with the opinion that these are men of wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, and only Allah knows the names exactly of the 124,000 prophets. Um, but we certainly know that these are men of wisdom and there are many wise men which we can look up to. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of prophets of Allah subhanahu we stick with what we have in our hadiths and in our holy Quran. Now Sayyidina, this question is coming in from uh, Benin from Sydney. It says, my question is how uh, is wudu accepted by having tattoos on your body? Uh, it's pretty simple. Tattoos are under the skin. So <laughs> I don't know why that's quite complicated. And, you know, and if anyone wants to ask about, you know, tattoos being halal, then just go ask Ayatollah Sistani, you know. Exactly. He's always ready to answer your questions. Yeah. Um, so ask Ayatollah Sistani, ask the other maraja what they think, yeah. you know. So I think those things are all accessible on, on, online. If you type tattoo, Permissibility, Sistani, mm. you'll get all these answers there for you. Um, but yes, yeah, under the skin and water, for what is above the skin. I think some people just wanted their name mentioned on the show and for you to answer their question. Why not? You know, as long as we're all smiling in the holy month of Ramadan, why not? Ahsantum yeah. Sayyidina. Thank you very much for your time for tonight. And thank you for that insightful discussion on the life of Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam. Tomorrow, inshallah, stay tuned for the life of Prophet Shu'ayb. عليه السلام والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to look at our audio library for more content on Quran, ethics, lifestyle, and spirituality. Imam Hussein TV3, your gateway to Karbala.